The Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Eric France and Ajay Salveson. Hope you're having a good Monday. What's wrong over there, Ajay? You no. like you put it on, you take it off. You put it on, you take it off. You know, I'm just not feeling it today. So we have the the headphones. Just okay, just you. losing pick six really just is not. I'm I'm struggling, Eric. Struggling pretty hard on this one. If I could put a lot of effort into it, and still lost. You didn't put a lot of effort into it. Yes, I did. More than you did. You had Gabby the intern help you with like half of them. No, I didn't. I had her help me with one of them, and it's the one that I lost. I was putting mine together. That on moldy the fly. corn dog owes me a treat now that will deliver to you. <laughs> so my treat's going to come from her. <laughs> that sounds delicious. <laughs> It'd be better than what I give you. Uh, hey, big win on Saturday for Utah State. Monster. Monster win. And it wasn't looking like it was too sure the way that it was being called. A lot of fouls called in the game. And uh, there are some people taking issue with how many fouls were called. And I could see if you're a, a super fan of one team or the other, you'll feel like you were picked on. But watching it, honestly, AJ, it looked like they were pretty equal opportunity offenders. The referees were bad to both teams. Okay, so three of four. So I rewatched the game Sunday morning. I like to watch the games to see what I missed, things that I've missed. Three of Sam's four foul calls were horrendous, absolutely horrible. And two of them were calls that they wouldn't call on the other side. That they called on Sam. And that's what set Craig off so much, I feel like, is that look, we couldn't get that call in the end. Why are you giving it to him now? Um, and then another thing to it is, is uh, it just took all the momentum out of the game. I mean, it really did, man. That game had some flow to it and some rhythm, and the refs just took over at the wrong time. In fact, one of them was a fill-in. One of them isn't even a Mountain West Conference referee. He's a fill-in. So we had no idea what the crap was going on, obviously. And, and then, of course, Craig Smith gets a technical about, what, two minutes into the second half. And right. I, it was just it was a rough go for those referees. They were absolutely horrible last night. And I've got to be honest with you, it's not going to get any better tomorrow night because guess what? Aggie's best friend's back in town in Colorado State in Dave Hall. And Mr. Higgins, who, by the way, before Wyoming, at Wyoming, Utah State had not won a game with Craig Smith as the coach when John Higgins was refing the game. Really? I probably shouldn't have said that on air. Like, wow, how do you even know who's going to be refing the game at this point? Uh, We know. <laughs> you, you know things. Uh, but two Boise State players foul out. Two others have four fouls and significant foul trouble. But Utah State wasn't that much different. Uh, Bean was in foul trouble. Sam Merrill was in significant foul trouble. Uh, Brock Miller had four fouls. But they it's not like there were a ton of free throws that were shot. I mean, well, yes, Utah State did 35 free throw attempts. But it, it the, the referees were taking control of the game and calling fouls away from the ball, guys that didn't look like, I mean, just looked like contact. It's just a normal part of the game. They're calling fouls. It was it was, it was, was hard for either team to get much consistency or rhythm in that game, Ajay. 
Yeah, I mean, and that was the toughest thing is that, you know, they're trying to go through. And then the other part of it is, like, you don't know when it's going to be a foul and not be a foul because it was inconsistent of what they called and what they let go. Like for the first five, six minutes, I mean, at least going into the first media, they let everything go. I mean, it was, you know, bloodbath. Every man for himself. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it just stopped. And, uh, I mean, you have a double foul on Diogo and uh, Alston at one point. I mean, it was just an absolute atrocious mess. And that's what kind of messed with the offenses as well, is when you can't, you know, you can't develop a rhythm offensively and get going. I think that's what created such a huge issue. Yeah, it certainly took Sam out of the game a lot. He had to sit significant minutes in the second half. Uh, but you know what? Give a lot of credit to Namiyash Kata, the type of game that he had. Uh, I was really impressed with him. I, I also was really impressed with Diogo Brito. He really played a lot of significant minutes when Merrill was out, and I thought he was a, a steadying presence. He did a lot of different things for the Aggies. Uh, and Again, filled up a box sheet, which he is prone to do. Seven boards, two assists, a steal, and a block, and 11 points off the bench. I, I just was really impressed with how he was a steadying factor for Utah State when it could have been a real panic mode with the, the fouls and the foul trouble that was going on. Well, the craziest stat is, is when Diego Brito scores in double figures in his Utah State career, do you know what the Aggies' record is? Probably pretty good. 26-0. and 0. Holy cow. They have not lost a game when Diogo scores in double figures. Wow. 26-0. and 0. The fetch, man. Get that man the, the ball. Basketball. What are we doing, <laughs> man? Let's go. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I look. Uh, <laughs> he's he he's really good defensively. He is so uh, like smart defensively, and that blows my mind. Um, but even more so, like when he's good offensively and he's active offensively. It opens up lanes for everybody else. For some reason, like when he's good offensively, everybody else is getting looks. Whether you're in the paint or on the perimeter, you're going to get a good look. Um, from Diogo alone, it is amazing how he changes the game with his success. Yeah, uh, yeah, I really like his play. There were some stretches earlier in the year where he just didn't seem to have his stuff. And part of it could have been because of some ankle injuries that he was battling through. But he's playing some really, really good basketball right now. A great presence coming off the bench. Um, Justin Bean continued to be a monster on the boards. But I, I don't know that I can say enough about how important Namiya Keta is for how well this team plays. Five blocks, eight rebounds, 21 points. Uh, just that presence down in the post. And maybe even more important, uh, 14 free throw attempts. And he was 11 of 14. He didn't miss much. So what on a night where Utah State really struggled to hit the outside shot, I thought that they made up for it by how well they attacked the rim and got fouls and got to the free throw line. So the other thing to that is um, there were some possessions in the second half where Namish was open in the post and they wouldn't give him the ball. At one point, Namish, I think it was after a ball was tipped out of bounds, like looked at his guys and said, get me the bleeping ball. And uh, he was very, very upset at this point. Then they came to a media, and he was walking to Craig, and he said, get me the bleeping ball. 
Like, look, he's one of the best big men in the league. Let him get his touches, right? right. They didn't have an answer. Decisions. Yeah, and you're right. They didn't have an answer. There's a couple of moves that he made in the post that were beautiful, right? You know, fake left, you know, shimmy left, go right, hook shot. Shimmy right, go left, hook shot. I mean, it was just, it, it's, it's NBA caliber moves that he makes. But you've got to get him touches. And I feel like his touches in the first half were great. They died down immensely in the second half, though. And that's when, that's when Boise State really made their comeback. Ajay, this was a, uh, a special game for a lot of different reasons. 50 years for the Spectrum. Oh, God. The Wayne Estes tribute, the Liddell Anderson tribute, uh, and the reunion teams. Yeah. Um, we had a call during one of the breaks, and someone wanted to specifically ask, you were there on the scorer's table. You saw a lot of this very closely, and you heard some of the things that were going on. Uh, the question was, why Utah State didn't specifically mention or name the athletes from those teams who were there and who were in attendance. Did you hear anything about that, or did they just say, we're just going to recognize the team, who's here is here, we're not going to say who's who? No, that's a great question. Uh, they did I have no idea. I'm just going to say I don't know, because I really don't. Um, that's a good idea. I like it. I think it's, I think it's, I mean, I... Yeah. If, you're, if you're a current Utah but, State student... You probably don't know who any of those people are. Well, and that's and, and still so there's there's a part if of that. If you're a longtime Aggie, you probably recognize. Yeah, is that? I think I know who that is. So, but um, that I, was 20 years ago. Guys change. They lose hair. They get fat. I'm gonna try and be really careful with what behind the scenes stories I tell on, on the air tonight, because um, I you know I don't want to put out too many people. But uh, <laughs> Spencer Nielsen, you know, comes onto the court and, he, and he's and he's shaking a couple people's hands. You know who Spencer Nielsen is. I know who Spencer Nilton is. A lot of people here know who Spencer Nilton is. Great, one of the greatest big men Aggies to ever touch that court. At one point, a security member, student, goes to another student security member and says, because they're trying to clear the court, and I, I think Spencer was talking to, I can't remember who he was talking to. He was talking to somebody, though, that he knew, and it was one of the, I think it was a f- coach or was uh, an assistant, or I know it might have been an equipment manager. Can't remember, but who? But his <laughs> security member goes to the other guy, and she says, "Hey, uh, we need to get these two off the court. I don't know who they are and where they're at, but they." We need and I'm like, uh, "Excuse me, if I if I could help you, that's one of the greatest Aggies to ever play. Leave him alone." That's all I said, and then I walked away. And she kind of gave me a look of like, "Who are you?" And yeah, but uh, like, you're not going to tell Spencer Nielsen to get off the freaking court. He helped build that spectrum. Sure, he wasn't honored because he wasn't on one of those teams. You're, there's no way in you know what that I'm going to let you go out there and be like, uh, sir, you need to remove yourself from the court. That's not happening. Um, and so I, I think, I guess that, that's me trying to prove your point that you're right. Maybe a lot of those students are like, yeah, all right, Tony Brown. Way to go, man. Wait, hey, who's Tony Brown? Uh, yeah, I don't even know who. Yeah, okay, cool. Some guy who played before they were born. Yeah, right. And I mean, yeah. if you're a freshman, well, yeah. these guys played before you were even alive. Brian Green was one of the sh- sharpest shooters in Aggie men's basketball for like four years straight. But with next to Tyler Newbold, clutch shooter. I bet you half those kids didn't even know who the heck he was. So I think I don't want to be too critical. I don't want to be overly critical no, of Utah State. But I'm just saying, maybe I, this is a point that hey, if you do these again. If you're going to do reunion games again, or you bring back uh, former championship teams, probably be a good idea. Have somebody there, 
okay, who's here? Who actually showed up tonight? Okay, yeah. let's let's jot them down. Let's get the names. We're going to recognize the 2006 squad, and tonight representing that team in their championship run, team X, Y, and Z, player X, Y, and Z, along with assistant coach, whomever. I think that'd be great. But it doesn't like, take that long, and then people no. say, oh, okay. They raise their hand as their name is being called. <laughs> takes less than a minute. Probably a good idea. I'm not saying that maybe what they did was malicious. Maybe just been a, a slight oversight. No, 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 no. And what's the malicious? There, there's no way in hell there is a malicious. No, you, no you're, probably you're just a little right. oversight. You're absolutely right. And I, I think it's, and you know, I was talking to somebody and they said, you know what? We're making adjustments every year. We're making improvements every year with this. Because I'm they really glad they to did do this. It. And I think it's awesome what they're doing. I think it's fantastic. In fact, what was really cool is, is just after the walkthrough is over, I will tell this story. Just after the walkthrough is over, Coach had the alumni because they all kind of came out to the spectrum and got to see some of the walkthrough and the practice and such. And then they all kind of hung around, and then Coach lined up the alumni on one side, lined up his squad on the other side, all facing each other, and then he introduced, every player introduced himself, whether they're from and what they were majoring in and what year they were. Then he went to the other side, to the alumni, and had them introduce themselves. Hey, I'm so-and-so, and I played during these years. And it was really, cool. really, really cool, actually. And Great then, experience for the players. And then Craig Smith did, I mean, and their coaching staff did a fantastic job. Craig Smith comes out and he says, hey, I want you to know that this place is yours. You built this. You raised the spectrum. You built it and then you raised it for years so that we, and he points, and the great thing is he didn't just point at the players and leave himself out of it. He points at everybody, equipment managers, coaching staff, himself, players, and says so that we could come and be a part of this program and have this experience and be a part of this tradition. It was so well done. Um, I thought Sarah Landis, I thought uh, Ryan McLean, and, and the whole group was just absolutely phenomenal in how they handled the thing. But like you said, they're going to make improvements every single year. And that's one of them I think they'll look at next year and say, you know what, let's try this, and let's do this, and let's try that. And Yeah, yeah, I certainly applaud them for what they did, uh, bringing those teams back, recognizing past champions, uh, recognize the, the greatness of, of others who came to create the situation that, this current team gets to enjoy. So uh, T Wade uh, on Twitter um, got reached out to us and said they read the names of all the players from the reunion teams, but they didn't specifically say which ones were actually there. Which would make sense because I think, and I, I think that's what the caller was just wondering: like, who was actually there? Who were the people who were there? Yeah, there. That makes sense because I. And I think, and maybe that could just been coordinated better. And by the way, because I that when your name is read, you wave and turn around or yeah. whatever. Because if man, it's weird too. Because did they do it during? I got to be honest. I don't remember doing it during halftime or because they did it during halftime, right? Yes. If I remember, they they honored Wayne Nestis before the game. Right. Wayne and, and uh, Liddell were done before Wait, the game, and then they did the teams during halftime. So and I was doing a few other things. I was kind of busy. So I don't remember the, the, the players coming out. I might have been gone and absent for just a little bit during that. But, uh, yeah. So it sounds like they did read the names of all the players, but then the ones who were actually there, we weren't, they weren't sure of. So to the callers uh, question, I don't know why. And I think it's something they'll probably work on. Um, but really cool night, the way it all worked together. Yeah, I thought the Wayne Estes really cool. thing. Dude, I, uh, I got a little bit emotional because, I mean, I didn't see Wayne Estes play. Fifty-five years ago on that on, on that February eighth night, I didn't see that. 
you know, but then you see his shoes in the middle of the court, spotlight on him, was just awesome. That was so freaking cool. <laughs> and then the standing ovation that Liddell Anderson got, right, the late Liddell Anderson that he received, um, I thought was touching. I thought I, they had the two uh, uh, stickers on the court, uh, both ends of the court. They had a sticker in Liddell's uh, with his initials and the uh, – I. Just, it was really, really, really well done. I just, you know, it was so touching and it was so moving. And then the refs came in and just effed everything up. <laughs> Dude, I don't, like, how bad? Wow. Look, we've seen a lot of ref. I mean, it, referees have been topic of discussion in the state of Utah for, I don't know, that's 72 hours, if that. Um, that was horrible, though, Eric. And, and, and really, like... The thing is, is when I, when I watch Boise State's coaching staff, Leon Rice doesn't coach. He just pisses and moans that he doesn't isn't getting a call. He was complaining more than Craig Smith. Triple that. Now Craig was you know pretty admin about a, a a bad a bad bad call, but Leon Rice to be able to just sit there and argue and whine and whine and complain and. Look, dude, that guy's shoe is white and has blue stripes on it. Why isn't he getting a foul call? <laughs> Why is Brito's hair like that? Give him a foul call. Just everything he could possibly think of. And he doesn't even coach. Dude, you wonder why you got beat. It's because if you actually focused on coaching, you might win a few more games, man. Now, granted, they beat us by in, in overtime in Boise State, but that, I mean, things went to... The heck! That that's more of a Utah State collapse than what it just, Boise State man, was dude. Doing. It just it just amazes me. But that the still. rest take that away. They know that. And by the way, I I don't know if they know or not that Sam was that close from setting the record. But to to, to screw him over like that was just horrendous on their part. Just so so bad. And you okay? And by the way, I tweeted this out the other day um, when watching the game. Dude, those that freaking color analyst. Does he? I does he have a vendetta against Utah State? And I'm honestly asking because when when that hook and hold was pulled on Numiish and he got dragged to the floor by Williams, he's like, "Oh yeah, it was just tangled up, you know, kind of fallen to the floor." The heck are you watching, old man? <laughs> and then and then you know um, the one call on uh, they they called the charge on Sam at the start of the second half. Yes, Sam extended his arm. It's a charge. That's a great call. The fetch. And then on the other side, Brito takes a block or a charge, and they call a block. Yeah, Brito is still moving. I'm like, you freaking fetcher. Shut up. Get off the TV. I swear to life. If I see him again another home game, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> Maybe he's going to call a game tomorrow night. Oh, yeah. It's already going to be bad enough as it is. <laughs> uh, let's do this. Let's call a quick timeout here on the Full Court Press, and let's hear from Craig Smith himself. Yep. Uh, he uh, held a press conference earlier today to comment on that Boise State game and also get ready for Colorado State. Colorado State, Ajay, playing really good basketball right now. They have uh, really their own loss in a stretch of like 10 games was the one against Utah State in Logan. Uh, they're playing really good basketball right now, and they're just ahead of the Aggies in the current Mountain West standings. And we'll also update you on those in the net. NCAA net rankings, Utah State's chances of getting to the NCAA tournament. We'll update you on all of that coming up next here on the Full Court Press.
interviews, analysis, and a little bit of fun mixed in. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Eric France and Ajay Salveson. Hey, two one nine seven just uh, texted. Hey, by the way, you can text into our show at four three five three three nine zero three two one four three five three three nine zero three two one. He says USU has a long ways to go to act like a big time athletics department. A long ways. Two one nine seven. I'm going to politely disagree with you. Well, and uh, and I'm not sure what you're referring ahead. to, but well, I don't think you're right. I would just say like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, what what. Where are where are they missing? Uh, I I can agree that there are things that big time athletics programs do that Utah State's not there, but but those that's a also have situation too. significant budgets that yeah. they just have money to spend. They have to spend it, and they spend it on crazy stupid stuff. Yeah, that, no, that's that's absolutely right. We don't have the budget that they do, and if you and I mean, so if that's if that's what you're saying, then I'm going to kindly ask you to go ahead and call Utah State University and make a. A wonderful donation to one of the uh, athletic department uh, uh, people, and they'll take really good care of you and, and uh, make sure that donation gets put in the right place so you can be a part of that movement. Um, but to act, I don't know what to act like yeah, a well, big time athletics department I'd means. I'd just be curious, yeah, what, is, what does that mean? But I would disagree either way, to be honest with you, or at least I'd tell you to go help them out by donating. Again, that's. That's just me, though. Uh, again, when you text in at 435 Eric, uh, Coach Smith joined us today on his uh, weekly pressers. We get you ready for a big, big, big major showdown tomorrow night against Colorado State in Fort Collins. Uh, where uh, Colorado State's number two in the conference, Boy, or Utah State's number three. You do the math. Uh, in this press conference, you'll hear him talk about a little bit about Boise State, but he'll get you ready for Colorado State, what he sees in them, what's the what's the reason for – I mean, they've won eight of their last nine that lost coming to San Diego State, and before that, they had just lost to Utah State. So they have two good quality losses and a chunk of wins, and he's going to talk about that here. And then also the final question, what is one thing you'd like to see change in the Mount West Conference schedule? Well, it's been a big week for the Aggies. You know, um, this will be the third game in seven days, and, and of course, Colorado State's coming off of their bye week, so they're playing great basketball, um, winning eight of their last nine, and of course, their one loss in those last nine was at at our place. So they've been excellent at home in league play. They only have one loss at home, and that's the San Diego State. And um, and San Diego State's beating everybody on their schedule. So they're playing great. They're very well rounded. Um, they're playing very well defensively, and then, of course, offensively, um, they've been playing at a very, very high level, in particular um, at home. So at, over the last five games at their place, they've shot 56.5% from the three and 57% overall um, from the floor. So, so we're going to have to really be on top of it. They, got, they always have five guys on the floor that can score. And, of course, Carvaccio is a, a heck of a player, and they've been there, done that kind of guy, and... Um, uh, can score in a lot of different ways and obviously an elite rebounder um, and then Thistlewood has been playing at a very very high level uh, hurt us especially uh, early in that second half at our place I think he scored nine straight for them 
and then they have great guard play Isaiah and, and freshmen two freshmen have really played well and Isaiah Stevens and David Roddy so um, they put a lot of pressure on you they're a very good passing team uh, one of the best passing teams we've seen all year so be a hostile environment I know it's their Colorado night I think and so um, I know there'll be a great crowd and it'll be a ruckus environment and we'll have to be ready to play alright guys thank you anything else did uh you know, every game really since you started with three losses has been kind of a must win for what you want to do. You're in a situation here now where, the, where you've got to prove yourself a little bit on the road in a, in a game against a good team. Yeah, I mean, um, um, we, we, I think, have two true road wins. have been very good at neutral court games, you know, beating Florida, LSU, North Texas having a great year. Um, and so... Uh, had a tight one against St. Mary's and a couple tough losses, and that's part of it. You look around the league, and that's how it's been. You know, I mean, just besides San Diego State, it's just been incredibly difficult to win on the road, and that's uh, there's a lot of things that come to the, into play with that. But the number one thing is you got to eliminate losing, and you got to be very, very sound and disciplined and and on point. You got to be good defensively. You got to find a way to score baskets and not go in scoring droughts and I think for the most part we have been good defensively but we've had some scoring droughts um, this year for, for various reasons so um, you know I feel like the last two times we've been on the road we have played well actually quite frankly the last three times even though we've been one and two uh, we played really well at San Diego State for most of the game had, a, had some scoring droughts and they went on their big run and in a crazy environment and played excellent for the first 36 and a half minutes on the game before that so um, I think we're trending upward but certainly Colorado State has clearly played their best at home and they're a very good team they are an experienced team but they do have a lot of freshmen and you know generally speaking younger guys do play better at home so hopefully we can find a way to get in there and play well and, and when you play well you always give yourselves a chance to win it doesn't mean you're going to win but you give yourself a chance to win and then you give yourself a chance to win then you got to find a way to, to finish that game mm -hmm. and so that's the goal obviously um, tomorrow night and these guys who've been there before have to have a feeling like hey we can score we can do some things because I mean last year's game was, was a heck of a game over there it's, it's, it's kind of ironic because it's very similar to last year you know last year we had the emotional win San Diego State that was a Tuesday night then we had Nevada on a Saturday and then we had Colorado State on a Tuesday so it was the same type of deal where you have all those games in a short short turnaround and, and the Saturday night game was a, a pretty emotional game um, you know Wednesday's game against UNLV was incredibly physical and rugged and I thought the Boise game was just you know there was a lot going on that night with the sellout and, and celebrating the spectrum and Wayne Estes and all of that I thought there was a lot of emotion in the gym so it's a quick turnaround and so you gotta make sure the guys' minds are right we gotta make sure they're physically good um, in terms of the recovery because we know they're going to be fresh as can be we know they're going to add um, you know we know they will have added a few different things to their playbook without a question uh, they always do when they have a buy and so we're going to have to be on point with that stuff but we do have a veteran group we have a group that's been there uh, last year what was the final night 196 I think it was <laughs> so you know it was a, they couldn't stop us we couldn't stop them um, but they're much better defensively certainly than last year and and quite frankly on the offensive end too I mean you don't get to where they're at right now without being a much better team so um, it's going to be a, a, a heck of a test for the Aggies mm -hmm.
Coach, when they started an additional guard in Chris Martin, they struggled a lot, and then Thistlewood came on and they went on this nice little winning streak. What do you see out of Thistlewood that makes such a big difference for the team? Well, when they took Martin out of the, the starting lineup and put in Roddy, Roddy's numbers really went up, and then and then I think it probably opened some things up for Thistlewood too because, you know, Carvacho is so good and just commands the ultimate respect. If you're going to play him one on one, you're you know I mean he's pretty good in that scenario. If you're bringing doubles, Carvacho is a very good passer and Roddy's a good passer. So just you got to really pick your poison with them now. And then Roddy is a very good passer. He knows how to play on the perimeter, but yet he's a bowling ball. You know, at 6'5", 250. So, so then I think kind of opens things up for Thistlewood to, to do his deal. And they run a lot of stuff for him. And he's an elite shooter. I mean, he's, he's one of the best shooters in the league without a question. And, and now, you know, he's on the back end of his sophomore year. But he's played, he's really a junior without a question. I mean, all the minutes he got last year as a true freshman and then all the minutes now. But I feel like it's kind of given them maybe a little more role definition if that makes sense. And then their, their, their ones and twos are so dynamic um, off the bounce and just great playmakers. So they can make one-on-one -on -one plays and they're jets, right? I mean, so whether it's in the half court or their transition, they're a, they're, if they're not the best team in transition, they're one of the top, I would say, two in the league of, of pushing the ball and making uh, plays. So they put a lot of pressure on you from all five spots on the floor at any given time. Sam said something earlier this year about how teams normally play him. They like to double him off screens and, and try to do that. Colorado State's given up 38 to him and then 28. What, what could they do different or what do you think or anticipate that how they could play him different to try to take him out? Well, Nevada, it, it, the hard part in, in league play is, you know, you're, you just, it just feels like you, you know, two days of practice, play, uh, maybe a day and a half of practice play and it's hard to all of a sudden incorporate like a whole new scheme. The difference is when you've had a week off to prepare, you actually have some time to say, okay, we're going to try some this and that or have this adjustment ready or that adjustment. So I think anything's in play, quite frankly, um, from how they play him off the ball to how they defend their ball, you know, ball screens with him. Um, um, I just think there's a, just anything that comes into play that they feel like they can do and a lot of it is, uh, as we all know, a lot of it's your um, philosophical beliefs as a coach but then a lot of it is what can you really execute with your personnel <laughs> and so you might want to do certain things but when you have this guy in the game or that guy in it's hard to do that because maybe they're limited with some of those things so um, so, quite frankly, Al, it's a really good question. I've been non my, I've been working my brain over that the last two days of what, what could we? And, and of course, Nico and I have worked together over the years, and we, play, you know, when I was at South Dakota, we played their Drake team. So I think they have a tremendous feel for what we're going to try to do, and I think we have a pretty good feel what they're going to try to do. And I guess uh, only time will tell what kind of different adjustments who they can make. They matched him most. Is it this one? Would they put him on, or who did they put one of their other? Uh, they the, like last game. They had. I mean, they had. Um, they had Stevens on them. They had uh, Kendall Moore on them. They had Edwards on them. They had uh, Martin on them. So they threw a lot of different guys, and then you know they typically switch one through four on ball screens. So right. when we have our four men go set ball screens, it could be. Thistlewood on them, or Roddy on them, or Tanjay on them. Like it's been, 
but mainly those three guards. Okay. And last year it was Jeremiah Page. Mm-hmm. But I thought about offense when you guys play each other because obviously there's been a lot of points scored. But the last meeting you guys played pretty good defense. Oh, you shot the ball well, but you were able to hold them to blow 40%. Yeah, we held them to. That's one thing that's really been your calling card all year, I think, is you never took any people. It felt a lot of points to less than 40% this year. Well, yeah, we've done a good job um, defensively and to hold them to 61 points. And I think, you know, especially we really did a good job that last 10 minutes of the game, but really the whole game. They just, they do. Like, it's not an understatement when we say they put a lot of pressure on you. Um, um, they're guys that really improved. You know, Kendall Moore is shooting it at a high level. That was maybe a little bit more suspect last year, but he's certainly in a, in a great rhythm. So you just got to be on point with your game. They run a, a ton of plays. They run a lot of sets, so you just gotta be really in tune to what they do, and they do a great job of running it, running them well and running them with pace. So um, you just gotta hope you can slow them down the best that you can, and then find a way to score to keep pressure on them, you know, on the other side of the floor. And then Carvacho and Nini's an interesting match all the time. Those two guys two, have had some good ones, really. Two, yeah, they have. They've had every game. It's been a battle between those t- those two. It's been a battle royale and. They're two of the best in the league, if not the two best in the league, and and we know what we all know what Nimi can do. But Carvacho is just such a good. He's a he's a really good player, and not only can he score, and we all know his rebounding is an elite level. I mean, it is elite um, as a rebounder. I think he has the Mountain West record for uh, most double doubles in a career, and he's averaging just a little bit more rebounds than than Bean is right now. Um, but he's also a tremendous passer. Like he can really. They do a good job of getting, kind of like we do at Nimi, putting them in the high post with some things and even at the top of the key with some things. And he knows when to pass it. He knows when to dribble handoff. And he just, he's, he's uh, I don't want to say he's a point center, but, man, he's got a lot of perimeter skills, skills for a man of his size. And, and then, of course, he's just really physical and rugged in there as well. High motor. Coach, really quickly, as the season winds down, is there anything you'd like to see change in Mount West Conference scheduling for next season? Thought a lot about that. I'm not sure I can control it, so I don't wait, I don't spend too much time on it. But you know, it's it's a tough thing. I know that's a big debate right now, a little bit of a debate right now, and um, I'm not sure where the league is at with it. With that, obviously, we're going to always support the league. Um, it's a it's a tough one because. For us, it's very difficult to get home games. So by naturally scheduling where everybody plays everybody twice, that's 20 games. That gives you 10 home games built in right away. Um, I'm a traditionalist, so I love the fact that everybody plays each other twice. So you have a natural champion, um, and and everybody gets everyone twice. Um, On the flip side, I don't know if I love having two conference games in early December, um, which is what would happen. And obviously, we have to happen this year, which you know, because of the conference tournament moving up in a week. And then there is a little bit of debate, like can you have a better non-conference schedule, um, having the flexibility to schedule two other teams? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know. But I do know this. In our shoes, it's very, very difficult to get quality home games. And, and you know, and last year we only played, uh, we played UNLV at home, but we did not get to play Boise at home. This year, we played Nevada at home. We are not going to their place. And we did not get to play New Mexico at home. So those are quality home games that our fans love, that I think are good for our players. And, um, and so you want, to play, you want those games. 
right at home and so um, so it's just very very difficult for us to get home games I agree with Craig Smith Mountain West scheduling is messed up yeah I, what, it's the way that they schedule hey, it, it that you're always on a plane every week yeah and that you don't play everybody twice Okay, so they're not on a plane every week. I mean, they, they played two home games this past week. They're on the road this and week. They're back home the next rare. week. But they've been doing that a lot this season. No, usually at one point during the week, you're on a plane. No, this year they were like a home. Like it'd be a home, road, home, road. This week was like, like what you wanted. Right. Th- th- this last week, I think, is a little more rare. Well, it's been like the last three weeks. Uh, now I got to go look at it. Yeah, no, really. This has been like the last three weeks. They play two games home, two games on the road, two games home. I mean, in the very first portion of the schedule, it was home and road, and then they got like into that that normalcy of two games home, two games on the road. Yeah, that's why I'm not sure why you're complaining so much about it. But um, the thing I don't like about it, I hate it when you're right. Yeah, me too. Uh, the thing I'm not a big but uh, hey, am I especially the this? last several weeks? You're right; it has been two at home. Two am home. I looking into this too much? So what I don't like is that they play Saturday, or get emotional, physical game Saturday night, a day off on Sunday, but then they travel Monday to go play Tuesday in a big, big time game. Yeah, I think that is a little odd to do I don't a like Tuesday that. game. Like play Wednesday. But, you know, that's the nature of national TV. And Craig and Craig was very careful with his answer. Uh, didn't want to say anything that was, you know, uh, just, you know, gave very soft thoughts, if you will, on what he wanted to see without saying really what he would want to see. Because he knows, he understands that he doesn't have control of it. He can, he can share his opinion. And I feel like the Mountain West Conference will value his opinion, not as much as if it was Brian Harson and Poise State Football, but they'll value his opinion. And, uh, and and look into it further. But, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, a quick look at what else happened around the Mountain West over the weekend. We'll update you a little bit further detail on that, what it means in the NCAA net rankings and the current standings as they are in the Mountain West. It's coming up after a quick look from the Mountain West themselves. This is your Mountain West basketball update with Nate Kreckman. Stuck in a four-game losing streak, plummeting in the conference standings and trailing Fresno State late Saturday night. UNLV needed somebody to hit a big shot, and that somebody, Marvin Coleman. Tillman on the baseline. Out to Coleman. Coleman with three. Coleman, tough shot from the right side. Banks in! And with two tenths of a second to go, the Rebels have the lead! John Sandler on ESPN 1100 in Las Vegas. UNLV comes out on top 68-67 at the Thomas and Mac. Rebels improved to 7-5 in conference. Also Saturday, Utah State in a dogfight with Boise State at the Spectrum, but the Aggies would pull away late. Bounce pass to Abercrombie. Won't go. Offensive rebound. Won't go. Bean's got it. Bean with the offensive rebound. Kicks it over to Diogo. 
Diogo, all he needs to do is lay it up and in, and he will. Yes, sir. Scott Gerard from Learfield IMG College, 70-61. The final, Namiash Keita, 21 points, 8 boards for Utah State. Number four, San Diego State at Air Force Saturday. Falcons keeping it interesting for a while, but Malachi Flynn and the Aztecs go to 24-0 on the year. Another three by Tomes. No good. Yanni blocked out beautifully. The ball came off his body, went out to Malachi. Malachi going baseline to baseline, got in, put it up, got it. Malachi Flynn, spectacular Aztec. Ted Leitner on extra 1360. San Diego State wins at 89-74. Your other Saturday finals, Nevada handles San Jose State 95-77 in Reno. And Corey Manigault goes off for 28 as New Mexico blows out Wyoming at the pit. Manigault with a steal. Showtime. Corey to the rim. Two-hand flush. Robert Portnoy on KKOB. Lobos win 97-68. Women's Hoops Saturday. Utah State stuns Boise State in Boise. 58-56. Steph Gorman goes for 20. And that's your Mountain West basketball update. I'm Nate Kreckman. It's the Full Court Press. Weekday afternoons from 4 to 6 on Sports Talk Radio. 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Eric France and Andre Salveson. Good stuff there from Craig Smith. Yeah, really good. So Utah State with the victory. That puts them currently in third place, tied with two other teams for third place in the current Mountain West Conference standings. It's a very tight race. You've got like five teams that are separated by one and a half games. One game, excuse me. Colorado State is a half a game ahead of Utah State. Aggies, Boise State, Nevada, all tied. Um, Then UNLV is a half game behind them. Then I guess you throw in New Mexico. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six teams separated by two games. This is a big one for Utah State tomorrow because... It's an opportunity for a quad two victory for Utah State. They don't really have very many true road wins, Ajay. That's that's concerning. Yeah, that's what's scary. And so and that's, the selection committee is going to pay close attention to that. That's why they need to sweep the rest of this way, right? Tomorrow's going to be a a bleep. Like it is going to be a <laughs> a fifteen round drag out knockout slobber knocker fight. Expect that thing to go all 15 rounds with Colorado State at their place, especially with Mr. Nico Carvacho, who has been owned by Namiyash Keta twice at Utah State. The last time they went there, they went to overtime last year, and I thought Carvacho played a heck of a basketball game. You're going to get it again. They have uh, Thistlewood, who is one of the best shooters in the league right now. Uh, just, I mean, he's been incredible. Look, their, la- their first loss before this streak was against Utah State. They went on to win... Eight of nine with the last loss in between there was sandwiched with the San Diego State game. This is a very good basketball team, and uh, it's it's going to, I mean, it's just it, you're going to need to play the full 40 minutes. Anything less than that's going to get you beat, maybe even off the court. Uh, so Colorado State, they've won their last three. They lost at Utah State back on January 25th. Didn't seem like it's that long ago. Before that loss, they had won five in a row. Uh, but uh, really since... Since mid-December, they only have two losses. And one of those included a triple overtime victory at Tulsa. (laughs) 
So there are two conference losses in the last little bit here. We're at Nevada and at Utah State. They are very good at home. They only have one loss at home. Wow. You want to guess who that was? Tennessee State? Correct. Back on December 4th. Their first, that was their Mountain West Conference opener. So big time game tomorrow. A lot of implications for the Mountain West. It's so tight right here with that group. Yeah. Utah State needs to create some more separation. Uh, so the net rankings, Utah State has moved up. They're in the top 50 now with these wins. They're at 48. So that's caught a lot of people's attention. Jerry Palm with CBS Sports has Utah State as a last four in as an 11 seed. Joe Lunardi with ESPN has Utah State as the next four out. So they still have work to do to be considered as an at-large potential. Um, San Diego State still number one in the net rankings. Nevada's 87, Boise 94, Colorado State 95. Those are the only top 100 teams right now in the Mountain West. Eric, if the uh, Utah State Aggies, I don't mean to be dramatic, but if the Utah State Aggies don't win tomorrow night, I'm going to bring a boombox to the front entrance of Coles and turn Motown Philly on repeat and then do the running man until I pass out. <laughs> Thank you, Jimbo Slice. It's very dramatic. By the way, Derek Fisher lied three times to get out of his contract. <laughs> yeah, have to include that. You have to. Uh, coming up next here in the Full Court Press, uh, there's some crazy things that have changed here. Uh, we we got a, a quarterback who's been to one organization for a really long time who won't be anymore, and really an MVP-type player being traded in Major League Baseball. We'll update you on those two stories coming up next here on the Full Court Press. It doesn't matter who you root for. The Full Court Press has all the high school sports covered. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. I believe that there are teams out there that think that he can win for them. Again, is he at the peak of his career? No. Just like Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, same draft class, would not be at the peak of their careers. Is he good enough to win, go deep in the playoffs? I think that teams believe the answer to that question is a resounding yes. That is uh, Adam Schefter uh, commenting on the news today that Phillip Rivers is going to be a free agent. He's leaving the Chargers. He's been there the entirety of his career. And now he will leave to don a different jersey. Do you think he does? Do you think a team picks him up? Yeah. Or oh, does yeah. he just go quietly into the night? I think a team picks him up. There's a lot of teams with bad quarterbacks. Browns, Jets, Buccaneers. Is he a starter? That's the only way he's going to another team. He ain't going to be a backup for anybody. He's too egocentric. Tom Brady-wise. Tom Brady won't go to another team like, uh, you know, I'm I'm okay sitting on the bench watching you throw. Okay, so then you brought up the next one I was going to ask about. Does Tom Brady come back to New England? Yes. At first, uh, because basically Robert Kraft has basically said, "Hey, what happens is going to happen. We he can be a free agent. We hope we can work something out." But he didn't seem like he was really saying one way or the other if it was going to happen or not. Uh. I think he comes back. I do. At first, I wasn't so sure, but I think the more and more I think about it, I just think, nah, he's coming back. Uh, Audrey, the other big news, the Major League Baseball, finally, the trade has gone through. Mookie Betts and David Price going to the Los Angeles Dodgers. 
Uh, in the uh, For a package that includes outfielder Alex Verdugo, shortstop Jeter Downs, and catcher Connor Wong. The three-team deal that pretty much everybody knew was going to happen a week ago. You have a, the 2018 MVP. You have another five-time All-Star who won the AL Cy Young in 2012. Seems like the Dodgers are getting a steal out of this for a couple of prospects and young players. Yeah, I'm not sure what Boston was thinking. Uh, in fact, I still don't know what Boston was thinking. I don't think Boston fans know what Boston was thinking. <laughs> like, there's just no like. I don't even want to get younger, but dude, Mookie Betts is one of the most up and coming players in the league, and if he's he was in the MVP conversation for a little bit, he's a a very high quality baseball player. I'm not sure what like how the Dodgers fleece him like this. This this is really unlike Boston and it's not good. It's a bad trade. Uh as we said, there's three teams, so the twins are also involved. Uh, uh Bruce Dar, Gratterall, Kenta Maeda. They're going to the twins. So it, there's a lot of stuff going on around there. But the, the Red Sox also agreed to pay half of the $96 million left on David Price's deal to make it work. Uh, there's a lot of funny business going on with Major League Baseball contracts. I'm not, I would not be surprised if we see a, a labor strike before too long in Major League Baseball. You, really? Yeah. Did you see the, the top very few guys getting huge contracts, but the average price per contract, the average contract, is gone down in Major League Baseball. And I think it's continuing to trend that way. Man, Bryce Harper's going to be pissed. <laughs> First, his former team wins the World Series, and all of a sudden they go on strike? I wouldn't be surprised, unless they can get this new collective bargaining room. Yeah, that's not going to go over well. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Utah Jazz basketball coming up before too long. Pre-game at about 6.20, tip-off at 6.30, right here on the Utah Jazz uh, Radio Network.